0: Good morning. We get to be here on the wonky Sunday, the, the time change Sunday, the, the uh, spring break Sunday. So I'm glad you're all here. Everybody who made it to Sunday, we kind of get like uh, hazard pay or something on this Sunday. I feel like we should have had like a hazard pay breakfast or something this morning. Everybody who makes it to, to church on this Sunday gets a little special treat. Glad you're here. About five years ago, we made the move to Tennessee, and I have to say, as we're coming up on our five-year anniversary, we're just finding more and more things that we love about living here. I, I don't have any tattoos yet, but I am considering—I <laughs> am considering the three stars. Like, maybe the three stars. And on the—I on the, tell Julie all the time, as far as I'm concerned, you're going to bury me in my backyard. I'm home. This is it. And I just feel so blessed to be here, blessed to have the community that we have here as a church, so blessed for our community that we also share with a number of families that we've known for a number of years, some of them are here this morning, and that we all kind of wound up here together, God's plan of putting us in this place for this time right now. What a blessing it is. I have noticed, however, one odd thing about living in a place with so many very famous people. Some interesting dynamics. I'm sure you can pick up on this. There's this one piece that's quite fascinating. I saw it happen in a really big way at this one party I was at, where I found out as the party went on that there were three siblings all from the same family. And I watched as each of them in some different way drew out from the people that they were talking to this question. They wanted people to know something. They wanted people to know who their parents were. But they didn't want to do it in an obvious way. They wanted it to come out in conversation. And so I watched as each of the three of them managed to have the same conversation where they were like, oh yeah, well, and they just said these questions. They, they said these kind of little statements in such a way that led people to ask and, and probe. And pretty soon they got to the point where they were able to say, oh yeah, well, oh my parents are so-and-so. And I watched it happen three different times from the same family at the same party. And I was like, so interesting to watch that. They wanted people to know specifically who their dad was. They just wanted us all to know. And it's a little bit odd. It's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit off-putting maybe. But at the same time, it's really just like us actually. We have amazing freedom because of who our dad is. Do we live in that confidence in such a way that we actually want to draw it out of people? Do you know who my dad is? Do you know who my dad is? Do you know who my dad is and what that means about me and what I have as a result of who my dad is? We've been leaning in on this for a while, this this series. And I just have found this to be A pretty amazing time, an amazing time in my own heart as there's been pieces of my life that I feel like I've been kind of keeping a bit off limits to God. That he's been reaching in and defrosting and melting and there's been revival happening inside of me. At the same time, I'm watching as revival is happening at Asbury College and other places around and wondering, what is God doing right now? Because I feel that he's on the move. I feel that. That line from the, the C.S. Lewis stories where they talks about Aslan is on the move. And I feel that God's moving right now and he's doing it inside of me. I'm experiencing fresh life. I'm experiencing God touching pieces of me that I feel I've kept away from Him for so long, and I, they're coming back to life. That song, like Lazarus, is "You've brought me back to life." It's just been wrecking me. So, I, sorry, they're going to sing it twice this morning. It's coming back. So get ready. I just asked for it to be done twice because it's just been one of those pieces that God's just been really moving in me lately. We have amazing freedom because of who our dad is. Do we live in that confidence? Do we live in that awareness? We've been looking at these different doorways. A couple of weeks ago, Keith mentioned honesty as a doorway into freedom. A doorway into freedom. A doorway into all that God offers us. All of this freedom that we have in him when we experience authentic community, that we begin to experience a place where we can experience that, that freedom in Jesus. Last week, it was hearing God's voice, how powerful it is when we learn how to listen to God in such a way that he actually guides us and directs us, speaks to us from his word, speaks to us from people around us who love him. And today, I want to stay with the H theme, and I'm going to talk about humility, humility as a doorway into freedom, honesty, hearing, humility. So that's where I'm parking this morning. I'm parking on this idea of of humility as a doorway into freedom. I put the three chairs back up here because I don't know about you, but ever since we had a special guest speaker with Keith's pastor from, from their church in Texas came and he did this thing with the three chairs I don't know about you, but this, just, this thing has just been messing with me ever since then as a, as a picture. I love the fact that I brought three chairs up here this morning and Luke was in here with us and, and Luke immediately goes, the three chairs. I was like, yeah, that's how I feel. I put them up here and immediately I think about this idea of what chair are we sitting in? This chair is meant to represent those of us who are in the process of figuring out our relationship with God. We're not necessarily yet in the family we're trying to figure out what it means. And, and most likely, if you're here, you're at least somewhere close to this chair. You're starting to question or wonder. Or there's there's something about being in this church with these people that's drawing you in, and you're starting to wonder. This chair is an interesting one because I'm going to jump over it and go into this one. When we get into God's kingdom, when we become children of the king, this is the chair we're meant to sit in. This is the chair of freedom. This is the chair of fullness. This is the chair that we're meant to go right into as we enter into the family. But for many of us, for some reason, in some way in our life, some battle that we've fought and lost, somewhere along the way, we've entered the family, but we live in this chair, this chair of the orphan spirit. We're children of the king, but we don't live like children of the king. We're not actually confident about who our dad is. We don't actually live into all of the freedom that he gives us. And so we live in this chair. And I have to tell you, there's been major parts of my heart over the last couple of years that I know I've been living here. And over the last several months, God has been deeply convicting me about what it means to live here, to sit in this chair confidently, to experience all that we're meant to experience in our relationship with God and the confidence that that brings. That confidence is not the opposite of humility. That confidence is what we gain through humility to place ourselves in the lap of the God who gives us everything. We don't bring anything to this equation. It's all him. It's all him. So this morning, if you're over here somewhere and you're wondering, I want to talk about how this humility begins to move us into that chair, moves us out of this chair into that chair, that somehow when we lose sight of all the fullness of what it means, of who our dad is, that somehow God can take us into the fullness of freedom. Dear Jesus, please guide us this morning. Speak to us. I want to be an open conduit through which you flow today. So, Jesus, would your spirit just flow through me? Would your words flow out of me? May the truth that is shared this morning be your truth. May it convict us and move us. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, right before service, I spent some time with the Lord. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Sometimes, um, I don't know about you, but in my devotional life, Sundays is kind of a day off sometimes. Because I'm going to church. And I'm like, I don't need to spend time alone with God myself this morning like I would normally do maybe because I'm going to church. But it's kind of weird because there's something else that happens that's meant to happen when I'm alone with Jesus. And I just had this one morning where I was like, I got up early enough and I I went and I spent some time alone with the Lord before I came to church. And the passage that I got to was in Luke chapter 18. I just happened to be reading through Luke And I'd like to just read this over you devotionally just now for a moment. In a a minute here, we're going to jump to the passage that we're going to kind of park on. But this is kind of my kickoff passage. We get two stories this morning. Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Oh, that would not be a good sentence to be written about you. If you made it into the Bible somewhere, that that was your sentence, you were one of the people who were there when this story was told, and that that was was, where he was aiming this story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, one who misses the mark, one who deviates from the path. That's what that word sinner means. And as I sat there that morning, Sunday before I was coming into church, I just sat in the truth that I, even though I know Jesus, even though I'm in the family, even though I've been invited to sit in this chair, I'm still the sinner. I fall short. I deviate from the path. I miss God's mark. And I just sat in that morning and just said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That was the thought that brought me into this room to worship. That's a dangerous thought to enter worship with. I just got to warn you. That's opening up your soul to God to do surgery. And that's what happened. I came into church with that on my mind and in my heart. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this morning, I'm coming into worship with this as the, the heart posture that I had and God just met me and I was undone and I don't know about you but worship for the last several months for me has just left me in a super sensitive place as we go into to the time in the word each week I feel like God's just plowing my soul and I came in that one Sunday with this sense of God have mercy on me a sinner and I was undone I was just undone There's another story where this is a huge theme also in Luke. Anybody have a guess where I'm where I'm parking this morning? Super important part of the story of the parable of the prodigal son is this posture of humility. If you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it. Um, I had a great conversation with someone last week who said, one of the reasons that she landed here at our church was because she heard us say, Keith said this over and over from the front, and I want to reiterate it as well. We want you to be in the Word. We want you to bring your Bibles. We want, we want to put stuff up on the screen, too, because we also want to make it easy for you to follow along. But we love it when you have the Word of God in your hand, on your phone or in a Bible. Grab the Bible in front of you and turn to chapter Luke. Uh, uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read the story of the prodigal son. It's kind of long, but I'm just going to read through it because I, I want you to be able to get the whole big context of this story. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who had sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command." that you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Arguably one of the most famous stories that Jesus told. Many people who may not have much biblical literacy at all can probably give you a pretty good rundown of that story. It's just one that has been told over and over. What's interesting for me is that my brother... And I, our relationship, left me with only one way of seeing myself in this story. As we grew up, my brother took a really hard road. And from in our family, he took a very hard left turn. And that turn took him down a pathway that led him into a lot of bondage, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness, a lot of very overt separation from the family, from God, that just kind of took him down that path. So I could barely see myself as anything other than the very obvious son who stayed home. My brother left. My brother went into a a pretty wild world and wild life. And so I saw myself in this story as the son who stayed home. And I had a really hard time ever really being able to get my mind around the fact that, was I also a a prodigal or what does that even mean when we talk about the prodigal son can i relate to the first brother or am i really just the second brother so i don't know where you land in this story if your story took you on kind of a wild journey and you relate to the prodigal or maybe you're the one who stayed home and you relate more to the to the older son i don't know how you fit in this but i know for me the story became a kind of a difficult one for me to be able to navigate as i got a little older i began to really be able to see, as I dug into this story, this is really a story about two prodigals. We call it the prodigal son because one of the prodigals, one of the sons obviously went away. He left the family. But the truth is is that the older brother also went away. (laughs) He went inward. He went down and deep inside. He went into lockdown in his soul. And he went away as well. You've really got two prodigal sons. And then if you really want to dig in a little deeper, you have a God who left heaven and came to give his life for you and me. You've really got a prodigal God who kind of did something crazy and really, even in the story, acts in ways that are just pretty mind-blowing. So as my world began to expand and I began to understand myself differently, I began to be able to see myself in the first son and the second son. Interestingly, this week, as I'm preparing to preach on this, my brother got to cut his ankle bracelet off. And he walked into the penitentiary and said, won't be needing this anymore. And he had kind of a funny interaction with the people behind the desk. They were going to try to make him take a drug test. And he said, hey guys, your last authority in my life was last night at 11.59 p.m. This morning, I'm a free man. Keep your bracelet. Bye. And they were like, "Uh, uh, uh." but my brother just this week has made a, a big shift in his life. As I'm looking at this story of the prodigal son and looking back over my life and how hard it's been to kind of see, my brother is experiencing a newness and a freshness in his walk with Jesus that is just really something else to see. It's really beautiful. And he can now look at his life and see the path that God's taken him on as a path filled with blessings. And it's, it's profound to listen to him talk about his journey and what has happened to him. But as we dive into this story, I want to take a moment and park on the first brother, the first prodigal in this story. The first prodigal goes to his father and asks him for his inheritance. Immediately, we should all be able to recognize there's something very wrong with this. The dad is alive. The dad is living on his own resources. And the son goes to him and says, I want my inheritance now. This is a deeply offensive move. It's unheard of. It was incredibly selfish. The listeners in the audience would have just been aghast at this move. That this son would come and ask the father now for all of these resources. And then, incredibly, he goes and he squanders this inheritance. It's interesting, isn't it? He goes and squanders it on what he thinks is going to give him freedom. Here we are preaching This series around freedom, all that we have in Christ. And this son goes in reckless living, and he just went wild. And what did his search for freedom bring him outside of his relationship with his father? It brought him bondage and poverty and death. We have a pig on our little farm And the story, including a pig, is interesting to me because now I have, for the first time in my life, a very, very clear picture of the fact that what he was considering eating... (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) This guy had really dropped to the very bottom. In his search for freedom, apart from the relationship with his father, he dropped to the bottom. He was very firmly ensconced in this chair right here. He was living in that orphan spirit. No question at all where he had landed. In verse 18, he begins to enter this doorway into humility. And I find it interesting here. There are three R's I want to give you this morning. I will arise and go to my father. This is just after he's been thinking about the fact that my servants are treated so much better than what I'm experiencing right now. My dad has all of these resources that even his servants are doing so well. I'll arise and go to my father. So first off, what he does is he remembers who his dad is. If you want to figure out how to start moving out of this chair, here are some interesting pieces of this. When you begin to ponder and think about who is God and what does he want to be in your life? What does he want to offer you? What is the freedom he wants you to live in? What are the resources at his disposal that he wants to make available to you and to me? We remember who our dad is. He remembers who his dad is. And then there he continues on. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He recognizes his sin. It's the same root word here in this story as it was in the last story. One who misses the mark and deviates from the path. He knew. He was aware of the fact that he was living Off the path. He was missing the mark of what God had for him, what his father had for him. He recognizes his sin. And then in verse 20, he arose and came to his father. He returns home. The crux of this piece is he gets up and he moves. When we look at revival, what is revival? How do we know something is actually revival? I found it interesting as I've been watching some of these Asbury clips and seeing people worshiping at other places, and they're kind of lumping them in with Asbury. There's more to revival than a worship service. It involves movement. It involves change. It involves returning home. It involves recognizing your sin and choosing to turn your back on it and instead re-enter into the fullness of this chair. It involves movement. Getting up and moving. I think it's fascinating to look at the Father's response here in verse 21. Well, actually before that even. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion in verse 20, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put this ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This father is so moved in, it's, it's basically the word is, he's moved in his gut So much so that he gets up and he starts running. He acts in this very undignified way. And this is, remember, this is meant to be the picture of the way God is responding. So think about this. The God of the universe running to respond to you as you recognize your sin and as you decide to say, Lord, I want to return home to you. That the God of the universe girds up his his robes and just starts booking it to you and says, yes, I want to welcome you home, and all that I have is yours. And he does this response that is just unbelievable. He's moved in his gut with compassion and forgiveness and restoration and celebration and full access and full freedom. Wow. The father in this story is mind-blowing, and the people listening to this would have said, it's not how a dad's supposed to act This dad that has been wronged, he's got every right to... People in the crowd would have just been so uncomfortable with this. And I think that's what should be happening for you and me as we recognize where God wants to call us out of this place. And he wants to welcome us into this place of full freedom. Prodigal number two, verse 28 says, but he was angry and he refused to go in. Here are signs of this inward prodigalness, this anger. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him in verse 29, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This sense of entitlement. He was earning his father's favor. I don't know how you feel about the chosen. I actually, honestly don't care how you feel about the chosen. I just want to say that one of the things that I love about the chosen is I love the fact that this story that I rip out of context and I apply it to myself, the chosen puts back into context and puts you back into a crowd where you would have seen the expressions on the faces of the people Jesus was telling this story to. Can you just imagine what was happening as Jesus describes this older son to the Pharisees standing around this circle going, is he talking about you? Is he talking about me? Is that? They would have been furious because they would have recognized that this story was about them in their anger, in their, in their earning their father's favor. Verse 30, it says this. When this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf with him. He was angry. He was earning his father's favor. He was living in a spirit of entitlement. He was keeping track of the sins of others. Guilty. And when I'm living this way, I'm living right here. Because over here, something radically different happens. Humility is an incredible. Incredibly powerful doorway. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. What would happen if you became so sure of who your father is, so comfortable in seat number three, as one with full freedom, that you begin to extend his style of lavish love? sitting over here, living as a child who wants everybody to know, do you know know who my dad is? Do you get it? Do you understand what this means about me? Do you know who my dad is? I want you to know my dad. I want you to know that he offers you this same amazing, all the resources of heaven. Do I want to live in such a way that I'm experiencing life from this chair? Henry Nouwen wrote a book. uh, I left the book here. Let me grab the book for a second. The Return of the Prodigal Son. Don't read it unless you're ready to have your world rocked. You want to talk about a plow dropping through your soul? This whole book is a plow dropping through your soul. And I'm going to give you one of the big old punchlines of this story, this quote at the end of that book, it says this, but what of the father? Why pay so much attention to the sons when it is the father who is the center and when it is the father with whom I am to identify? Wait, what? Is, I'm, I'm, I'm the first son or I'm the second son, right? I'm, I'm one of the kids in this story. It's the father with whom I'm to identify. Why talk so much about being like the sons when the real question is, are you interested in being like the father? Whoa. It feels somehow good to be able to say these sons are like me. It gives a sense of being understood. But how does it feel to say the father is like me? Do I want to be like the father? Do I want... To be not just the one who is being forgiven, but the one who forgives. Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but the one who welcomes home. And not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it as well. Isn't there a subtle pressure in both the church and society? to remain a dependent child. God is calling us up. God is calling us out of these chairs to live here in the fullness and freedom of the entire resource of heaven. That you and I can begin to be a conduit through which that kind of love and compassion flows. This morning we're going to celebrate communion In humility, come to this table, confessing your sin, experiencing freedom. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as you come to this table this morning, honesty, hearing his voice, humility, these are doorways offering us freedom to grow up into him. Do you know who my dad is? Do you know who your dad is? This morning as you come to this table, I'm going to invite you to come in a moment here, there. We're going to play and sing, and, and we're just going to have you stand. And you're going to come into the middle and kind of walk up around this way, make a loop around. Once you take the, the bread and you take the, the wine, the representation of these things, you can just feel free to take them whenever you're ready. But this morning we want to invite you into an experience. That through this doorway of humility, coming to this table, you and I, we don't add a single thing to this table. This is all Jesus. It's all him offering you and me a relationship with him in which he's our dad. And this morning, I want to invite you to experience this. If you're in this chair this morning, now is an awesome opportunity for you to be able to say, Jesus what you're doing, what you've done for me, what you continue to do for me is to offer me forgiveness and a fullness of life. And this morning, I want to come to you and I want to accept that gift. And this morning, if you're living here, to be able to just say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let me pray that I'm just going to invite you to stand. Dear Jesus, be with us now as we come to you and take communion meet us in this jesus have mercy on me a sinner your name